Normally, um, God really values. That have wounded us. We're supposed to forgive the people that have treated us unjustly, slandered us in the way they imitate us. But I've decided that I don't need to forgive Chris because you saw what he did to me. And I'm very offended, very wounded. And normally, self pity is a sin. But not today, and not for me. So I'm just going to wallow in this offense for a few minutes. Perhaps you'd like to join me. I'm sure someone's offended you in the last week. We can all find comfort in a moment of well-deserved self-pity. Join me, if you will. Ugh. Anyway. I'm going to forgive Chris. Uh, Before we jump into the message, John and I had a conversation this week about um, further explanation and and maybe our response to uh, Hope's situation. If you're new here, Hope is uh, going into her third round of chemotherapy for cancer, which is very, very difficult. So there's things that we can do. And there's an agenda that the enemy has for this illness. And there's an agenda that God has for this illness. So I thought we should take a look at this quickly. So before we get into the message, here's a number of points as to how we as a community can respond. Uh, What's the first one? Yeah, it's prayer. Absolutely and always. What we need here is miraculous healing. And this is for hope. It's for... uh, Marsha, it's for others, and my sister also is struggling with breast cancer right now. We need miraculous healing. And for that, we need the gift of faith. We need our faith stirred up. We need our faith fortified. We need to borrow the faith that Jesus had. And when we don't have it, we can ask for it. We are in a battle. And we need to be aggressive and militant in our prayers. This is not a time to pray from desperation. This is a time to pray from peace that the Lord has given us. And it's a time to pray with anger. Serious anger. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And this attack is evil, and this disease is evil. Cancer at a molecular level is a rebellion against God's design. Of all the diseases, it is, it is the most rebellious against God's design. So we're to pray aggressively and militantly. That's against the disease. Now... This may not have, have come to you right away, but, but um, it came to me. We're to pray for the Ator children. You see, the question we all face when someone we love suffers is, why does God allow suffering? Why does a good God allow good people to suffer? And this is the enemy's go-to question to cause us to doubt one of two things. 
either to doubt God's goodness or to doubt God's power. Either God is plenty loving, but he's not powerful enough, or he's plenty powerful, but he's not loving enough. That's Satan's logic. And either one of those lies is going to put us in a position where we can't pray with faith, where we're filled with doubt and we're filled with fear and we've been incapacitated from a godly response to this attack. And the kids are particularly vulnerable to these particular lies. The doubt the enemy wants to create is designed to separate, separate us relationally from God. Either he's not good enough or he's not powerful enough. Either one will cause us to pull away. So we need to pray for the children that the Lord will protect them from this kind of, this kind of attack. And thirdly, for John and Hope, for peace in the storm. We have to be able to find God's peace in the middle of this. And they face the same question as well as the children do, as well as all of us face. So we need to pray for peace, supernatural peace. Jesus said, I give you peace, not the way the world gives peace. The world gives peace when your circumstances are perfect. That's when the world gives peace. Those rare moments when everything is just fine, like a vacation and everything works out and you're at peace until you go back to work. That's how the world gives peace. God gives peace in the middle of the storm. So the first thing we do is pray. The second thing we do is we support our church. Why? John and Hope's calling is the success of our community. Their calling is for the success of our community, our, our church. And we help them and we help each other by giving ourselves more fully to our faith community in the middle of this crisis. You see, there's a temptation when a church is attacked to just withdraw and wait and see how it goes. Just protect my emotions. Uh, don't, don't, don't allow my... Don't get too involved. Just, just keep a distance. Wait and see how it goes. That's the wrong response. The right response is, it's time to step up. It's time to get more involved, not less involved. Here's some practical issues on this. Hope is probably not going to be able to teach her children's ministry class. We need teachers to step up. We always need teachers to step up. But we really need teachers to step up now. Not just for her class, but in general. You see, healthy children's ministry is one more concern off of Hope and John's plate. And it's always, in every church, a big concern. Number two, under supporting our church, all of us can help them by making this church a very easy church to lead. There's a verse I can't remember. I think it's in... uh, I'm terrible with biblical addresses. Uh, Paul says, Obey your leaders that their leadership over you will not be... the, The actual Greek word is a burdensome sigh. See what I just did? For some reason, the shaking the head always follows the burdensome sigh. Oh, God. With with the word God in there for me, like, oh, God. (laughs) That's, 
That's not supposed to be how your leaders respond to their leadership over you. Hey, you parents, you know that you've done the same thing. Oh, God. Right? Right? A burdensome sigh. So the more we step up and get involved in the life of the church and serving and helping and loving and everything else, the lighter the load. And right now, we need to lighten their load as much as is humanly possible. So it means an increased commitment to, to helping out wherever there's a need. The enemy's agenda in this illness is to sow discouragement to decrease our commitment. And we fight this by involving ourselves more fully in the work of God in this place. We assault the enemy and we insult him when we step up and say, I don't care what you're trying to do, I'm giving myself even more than I gave myself before. So in practical terms, this means when you hear a request for help coming from someone up here in some ministry, rather than a nice idea, consider it coming from God. Seriously. It's not just some guy up there saying, gee, we could use some help. It's God through that guy saying, gee, really, my kingdom, I want you involved. So our first inclination should be to say, why not, rather than why. And finally, an attitude adjustment. We are pampered, spoiled Christians living in this country. We are, we are pampered and spoiled children. The poorest person in this church is richer than 99% of the world's population. So it's a shock to us when bad things happen. You remember it was the Lord himself said, in this life you're going to have everything easy. In this life, you're going to have everything work out. In this life, you're going to have every prayer fulfilled. In this life, you're all going to have perfect teeth and a thick head of hair. And we will all drive a Mercedes. And we will live happily ever after. In this life, you'll have trouble. He, he said this. He said that the advancement of the kingdom of God is being violently opposed. And he went on to say... Those who want to experience the kingdom must take hold of it violently and they will advance it violently. The truth is, we're soldiers in God's army and we are in a real war. And this attack on our people, not just hope it, and everyone who's sick in this church, that's an attack against God. And that's an attack against his army and we are his army. We're in a real war, and we cannot afford to be passive or paralyzed by this attack against our leaders. We can't afford that. We must rise up and fight. John 16, 33, the Passion Version. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous. You must be courageous. For You have to attack. You have to attack. For I've conquered the world. This is a time for courage and aggressive commitment. He wants to push you off. You get more on.
Does this make sense? Mary, what was the time of day? 6.56? Based on Mark 6.56. One of our members, the Lord got her to start a habit in their home, which was to stop every day at 6.56 p.m. Based on... Based on Mark 6.56. And um, bring the family together and pray over this issue and others. Now, wouldn't it be something if we all just chose to set our clocks, our alarms on our smartphones, and the end of dinner before you've started your favorite TV show, etc., etc., to spend four or five minutes with your family praying over these issues? Would, what, what kind of family tradition would that be if you started the habit now and it lasted for the rest of your family's life while you're together? Wouldn't that be something? See, it's a win-win, isn't it? We can increase our prayer commitment, but we're the ones ultimately that end up winning, not just the people whose prayers, whose, whose answers of prayers we're asking for. We all benefit. So let's, let's think about that, all right? Consider being involved in that. Let's, let's just do it. Make the commitment. 6.56. Set your clock. Give it four or five minutes together. It'll deepen. Set your alarm now. Rick, Rick, the head of the men's ministry, who's more manly than I've ever been in my dreams, has just seriously threatened you people. And he has guns. He has many, many guns. I've seen them. So, you know, I'm no intimidation, but you should be afraid. You should be very afraid. He knows where you live. So you get your phones and you set them to 656 and then you remember these things we're to pray for. Or else, if you don't, I'm taking another offering right now. Right now. That usually fills them with fear. Okay, last week I talked about... Oh, we don't... Yeah, we talk about prayer. We don't actually do it. All right, let's pray. Father, as I see it, this is a battle of faith. I look at my own prayers and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty embarrassed, honestly, Lord. And I've struggled over this. How, how can I get more faith? Because I want to I want to pray that I want to pray that prayer of faith that talks about in James, Lord. We want to we want to pray powerful prayers. You got to help us, Lord. You got to help us. You got to give us more faith. You got to raise up in us a militant attitude. You got to bring. You got to make us aggressive here, Lord. Not passive, but aggressive. So we're calling on your Holy Spirit now to pray through us. Pray through us. Your faith your passion, your anger at the insult that this is against our people, our brothers and sisters, your children, your reputation, your kingdom. Stretch out your hand, Lord. Stretch out your hand for Marcia, for Hope, for Shelley, for Maru, for Linda, for all the people that are struggling with anything that hasn't been healed, Lord. We, we call for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in this place like we've never seen before. And stir us up to prayer. Get us aggressive and angry because this is an insult against you. And we shouldn't stand for it. Stir up our hearts, Lord. We pray right now your Holy Spirit to go out from this place. Touch every one of these people with your healing hand. Speak your healing word, Lord. And don't take no for an answer. And pray through us like we've never prayed before, Lord. 
Come on us with power. Come on us with passion. Come on us with anger against evil. Like we're not going to take this anymore. Enough is enough. Stir us up, Lord. Pour your spirit out. We want to see a wave of healing in this place like we've never seen before. And it's time, Lord. It's time. Enough is enough. It's time. Amen. Amen. That was the best I could do. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. We'll get better at this. Okay. Identity series. Last week, I talked about where our identity is and talked about God as a relationship. Isn't it interesting? He's three in one. He doesn't value relationship. He is a relationship. And it's... (laughs) The characteristic, it's one of the great characteristics of his kingdom. It's a relational kingdom. He lives between us and amongst us in our relationships. But the question is, what kind of relationship? How should we describe this relationship? What are the analogies? What are the metaphors? There are only three identities available to us. And this applies whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. It doesn't really matter. There's only three identities available to humanity. And you can live in any one of those three. It's your choice. Now, the first one is slave. Now you're thinking, what are you talking about? I'm not a slave. I've never been a part of slavery. I'm free. I do what I want to do. I'm not a slave. Yeah, you are. You're a slave to yourself. Do you know, I often think about this. It's an interesting thing to think about. When people come into this room, they come in one person at a time. Even if they're standing beside somebody, they come in alone. And every time someone comes through that door, another universe comes into this room. A unique universe of self-awareness. It's the blessing and the curse of individuality. You are who you are by virtue of your DNA and your experiences. No one else has your DNA and no one else has your experience. You are profoundly conscious of your individuality because it's what makes you you. But with that individuality and that self-awareness, which is God-given, comes a great temptation. And the temptation is to self-focus, which is something I talked about last week. And with the temptation to self-focus comes the temptation to pride, which is the ultimate temptation. See, when you walked into this room, no no matter how humble you decided to be, there's a part of you inside that is screaming for attention. Me, me, I'm different. I'm not that person over there. I'm unique, and you are. And you have a great self-will. And you have a part of you that is determined 
to express you. That craves attention, recognition, significance from others. Yourself wants to compete with every other self in the room for attention. Every one of us, every one of us copes with this all the time. See, when you walk in that room, it's my life. It was my choice to come here. It's my life. It's my experience. They're my opinions. It's my understanding, my ideas, my wife, my children, my home, my car, my job. Are you getting the picture? We don't recognize it, but most of the time we are slaves to our own self. And that's from the, <laughs> from the time of our birth. One time my aunt wrote a letter to my mother. This is way back when. Uh, my aunt was younger, and she was the youngest one in the family, and she, it was her turn to have children, and she wrote a letter to my mother, and this would come as no surprise to my mother. But in the letter, my aunt said, why is it that one of the first words they learn is mine? And it's not until much later they learn yours. So much for the ridiculous, idiotic idea that people are basically good. Stupid. People are basically selfish because they're born self-centered because it's the price of individuality. So we're all born slaves, slaves to ourselves. But at some point, you get sick of it. Oh, I hope you get sick of it. I got sick of it. I got sick of it at about the age of 28. I didn't like myself. I would, I would see to it that in my teens and 20s, I was never alone. I organized things with people to do something every night of the week, every single night of the week. After work, get together, do something. And believe me, it was fun. It's a great life. But the reason I was doing it is because I couldn't stand to be alone. I did not like who I was, and I was not comfortable alone with me. And that went on until I was 28. And um, I don't know how to describe it exactly. It was, uh, my life was going great. I was making money, and I was succeeding in my profession, and had all sorts of nice things and stuff. And I was empty of purpose absolutely empty of purpose. And I, uh, I, I was becoming desperate, actually. And my grandmother had said to me years before, if your life is going to ever mean anything, you have to come to terms with God. And she was the most godly person I knew. These, this, this phrase, you have to come to terms with God, it started echoing in my mind. So I decided, okay. Really, really didn't want to. I hated Christians, actually. And uh, I decided I needed to investigate God. So, long story short, I became convinced that he was real. 
And that if my life was ever going to have any real purpose or satisfaction, I was going to have to come to him. So I did that. But the way in was through religion. I got religious. I had a very low opinion of myself. So it would be impossible, you see, for him to love me the way I was. That's not possible. But what I could do is I could work for him. I could just start in the company. And I had this picture in my mind of this massive, huge building with these massive, like, brass doors. And above the building it says, God and Son Cosmic Enterprises. (laughs) And I thought, I'll get a job in the company. I want to work for the company. And so I came in. I did did the entrance exam. Yeah, I I did the the little sinner's prayer thing, which meant a lot because I was a sinner and I was praying. And I joined the company, and I was working in the mailroom and in the basement. But listen, I was just glad to be there because this is a lot more meaningful and purposeful than the life I'd been living, and it gave me some measure of hope. So I joined the company and I went to work in the mailroom. I became from slave, I moved from slave to servant. That's the second identity you can accept. You can go there. You get the choice to go there. And I went there. Now I'm working for him. I'm working my butt off for him. I'm saying yes to everything in church. I mean, I don't care what it is, I'll do it. And I did it. But they told me stories in the company. They told me stories that at the top of the building, there was like the executive floors. That's where my pastor was. And uh, the worship leader, he was there too. And Moses was there. A lot of heavy people, you know, seriously. My pastor, the worship leader, and Moses, they were up there in the executive floors, and they had a dining room where they ate great food all the time. And I never got to go. We, back in the mailroom, when we heard rumors, because, you know, we take stuff up and deliver to some of these offices, but we'd never really seen the executive dining room. But we were told they met every day, these guys, the heavies, and they hung out, and they were friends. And we thought, wouldn't it be something, you know, if you could, like, work, work your way up in the company, work your way up in the company, and maybe someday you could be on the executive floor and hang with those guys. But in my case, it's not possible. I'm too much of a loser. I'm too aware of who I really am. So I'll just be content as a servant working for God. Hello? We got any servants in the room? I mean, what's your identity this morning? You might still be a slave. The slave part never goes away. The self never goes away. We struggle with it until the day we die when we're truly free of it. 
So some of that little slave inside is still rattling around in there, screaming to take control. So uh, being a servant, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because, and I'm going to slag some churches by saying this, but I really don't care. In many churches, that's the goal. That you'll get to the servant place and you'll just stay a servant. And it makes so much sense because the Bible's full of stuff to do. And it's got rules and it's got regulations and it's got rituals and and you got to have the right version of the Bible and you got to pray the right way and I mean there's all this stuff that you you got to get right to be a good servant. And that can kind of capture your imagination and you can just stay there. Like forever you can stay there. You're working for God. And they clap you on the back and say, you're working for God. Isn't that great? And they build up your self-esteem by telling you, you're a good servant. You're a good servant. Keep it up. Just keep on serving. You know what I discovered in that phase of my life? It's really hard to work for someone you don't know. It's hard. Gets to you after a while. Gets tiring. Just working your butt off. And you know after a while, people telling you you're a good servant, it doesn't do it to you like it did in the early days. And the better servant you become, the more work they give you to do. Uh Uh-oh, this is getting ugly. You see, the treadmill goes faster and it goes up. You see, as a servant, you can always do more and try harder. And the answer for every problem, do more and try harder. You know, you prayed about this for an hour. You could have prayed about it for two hours. You know, you searched the scriptures to find the answer for this problem, and you probably spent, I don't know, a couple hours doing that. You could have spent all day. Just do more and try harder. And what finally happens? For me, it took about, I don't know, seven years or so. I'm done. I'm exhausted. I'm working for someone I think I don't even know. And I heard this Catholic nun. (laughs) See, in the world I grew up in, our, our school was across the street from the Catholic school. And I had to take an alternate route home every day down alleys and ducking around not to get beat up by the Catholics. No, I'm just telling you the truth. Look, we were raised good evangelicals. Catholics are going to hell. And the Catholics were raised good Catholics. Evangelicals are hell. The walls that divide. Seriously. This was the 1950s, people. This was a time of profound ignorance. Not liberated like it is today.
So I, I, hear, this, I hear this Catholic nun at an event hosted at the convent. And she's talking about, they invited her up just to give a history of the convent. And she's, oh, you know, and Father, in 1886, Father Lacombe came to Alberta and he built that particular church. And then the Sisters of Divine Infinite um, bed, bed, um, bed making, they came and, and they started their order and, and then blah. And it's, it's like this, it's like this, uh, this factual travelogue history, right? This little 62-year-old nun is giving this history and I'm in tears. I'm crying. I don't know the Holy Spirit at this point. I have no clue about anything except I'm servant of God. And I'm in tears listening to this woman and I can't take my eyes off of her. And then she wanders out goes upstairs into the offices. And they told us, whatever you do, you're not allowed to leave this part of the convent. You can't go up where the nuns live or work. Well, something's going on inside and I don't understand it. Because I didn't cry easily in those days. I was a lawyer. (laughs) You have your heart removed at law school. They never give it back to you. But I, I, I had to find this woman. I don't even know why. I snuck up and I started going down the main hall. And I'm praying, dear God, please let me find her quickly before they find me and beat me up. So this third, second or third door that was open, I stuck my head and she was sitting there. <laughs> I said the most idiotic thing I've ever said. I said, you know, uh, that talk you gave us downstairs... Uh, this morning, uh, it really meant a lot to me. And she's looking at me like, oh no, another mentally ill person has wandered in. <laughs> I didn't say anything of meaning or depth. I just gave a little history, and this guy it thinks it's powerful. So she very graciously said, um, sit down, tell me about yourself. And I just went off. And uh, she starts talking about Jesus. Man, I'm telling you. She's talking about Jesus, and I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, she really knows him. Like, what's going on here? This Catholic witch. (laughs) Sounds like she really knows Jesus. And I interrupted her, and I said, excuse me, but when you talk about him, it's like you're on a first-name basis with him. And she said, well, yeah. I said, how do you do that? How, 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 how is that possible? And she said, well, you'd have to learn to pray. I said, oh, well, let me tell you about my prayers. I do the missionaries. I do the com- countries in alphabetical order. I go through the whole world. Then I pray for my sinful friends. Then I confess my sin. That takes about a year. And then, and then uh, you know, I said, I hate prayer. I can't stand it. I've tried it. It doesn't work. I hate it. And she said, no, 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 no. That's not prayer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about learning how to be with God. I said, because I, I, I was a lawyer, right? I'm steeped in cynicism. I said, are you trying to tell me that there's something that I could do that when I've finished doing it, I would know Jesus like you know Jesus? She said, yeah. I said, come on. She said, no, no, you can do it. It works. 
I said, what would I have to do? She said, well, you'd have to, you'd have to sit still for an hour every day. I laughed. Well, we're done then. <laughs> I, can't do, I, can't, I can't sit still for three minutes, let alone for an hour. I, I, and I negotiated. I said, um, how about 20 minutes? I'm telling you, this, this woman's full of grace and full of love. I said, how about 20 minutes? She said, no. I said, how about half an hour? She said, no. I said, okay, I'll give you 40 minutes. No, 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 one hour. And there began this, this process of learning to be still and learning to be in his presence. And the shift that took place was shift from servant to son, which is the third identity we have access to if we want to. And the word father became absolutely real to me. The love of the father did it. And everything changed. I mean, everything changed. For six months, I thought I was a 62-year-old nun. But that wore off, thank God, and I got to be me as a child of God. As a child of God. What did Jesus say? I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friend. And what did Paul say? Come on, guys, we all know this verse. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You see, fear is the domain of being a servant. A servant always lives with an insecurity that he or she may fail. Because, you see, a servant's belonging and value is in how they serve. But a son or a daughter's value is not in how they serve. In fact, it has nothing whatsoever to do with their performance. It has to do with their identity. Real security will never come from being a successful servant. Believe me. The, the more you do and the harder you try, the clearer it becomes to you that your acceptance is only as effective as your last success. And your rejection is just waiting around the corner in your next failure. And because of the idea of do more and try harder, you can always do better than your last success. What does this breed? Insecurity and fear. Because your identity is fundamentally insecure. It's all about how well you serve. Which makes you, by the way, easily manipulated. But a son or a daughter is not a slave to fear. Because her identity is in her father's love. And his identity is in his father's acceptance, which is unconditional on both counts. 
You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of childhood, of adoption, of sonship, of daughtership. And by him, and we all know this. Come on, people, we know it. Look, we know it, but how often do we experience it? We all give lip service to this verse. It's, it's, It's charismatic's favorite verse. But really, when was the last time you felt it? You see, knowing something in your head is not the same as experiencing it where it matters in your heart, in your identity, at the core of your being, the deepest part of who you are. You didn't receive the spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You received the spirit of childhood, of sonship, of daughtership, and by him, by him, by the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to cry out, Abba, Father, the most intimate term of fatherhood that we can use. The Spirit himself provides, the the actual Greek word here is, provides incontrovertible evidence at the depth of your identity that you are God's child. He provides evidence And that evidence is not the right idea in your head. It is an experience of the love of God, which is so powerful, it literally changes you and transforms your identity. It transforms your identity. When it happens to you, you don't have to wonder. You know it happened to you. You know you've been changed. And it becomes the foundation of security for the rest of your life. And you will not consider yourself a slave. And you know what? You won't just consider yourself a servant. To be quite honest with you, and you can, you can criticize me all you want. I couldn't care less. I don't consider myself a servant of God. I stopped that a long time ago. We are in a family business. He is my father, and we work together. We do things together. And it isn't just the work we do together, the play we do together. The entertainment, the watching football we do together. The going sailing and boating, that we do that together. And the stupid jokes I make, we do that together. It isn't about what you do, it's about who you are. And until you've had a transformational experience of His love, you don't really know who you are. The Holy Spirit. I've got to find the verse. It's, it's the most ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous thing that God's ever done. So amazing to me. It's in John. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God, this is so good. It's amazing. He, the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me. This is Jesus talking. He, the Holy Spirit, he, it's a person, not a thing. Quit insulting him. He's a person, not a thing. He, the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me, Jesus, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. What is it that the Holy Spirit takes from Jesus and gives to us? The love of the Father. 
the love of the Father. He takes this perfect fatherly love, perfectly expressed between him and Jesus, who is the perfect son. So there's no limit to the father's love or approval coming down on Jesus. Jesus has it in great abundance, more than enough. And the Holy Spirit takes that same love of the same quality and the same quantity, and he takes it and he brings it over and he plugs it into your heart. And now you are included in the circle that is the Trinity. Because it's not a triangle anymore. It's got a whole bunch of other points. Now it's a circle. And you're part of that. And your identity has been completely transformed. And he provides this evidence which is real because it's the experience of the Father's love. And Jesus said, he said to his Father, you have loved them even as you have loved me. Do we need any more conclusive reasoning? People, you're not just servants. You're children. Don't let anyone talk you into the fact that you're just God's servants. You're not. You're his children. Yes, you serve him, but you serve him because he first loved you. We serve him out of the abundance of the love that he has already given to us. We're not earning that love. We're responding to that love. And that's the grace message. So shall we apply this? Shall we apply this right now? Give the Spirit a chance to do this thing? Why not? Okay, close your eyes. Say yes. Say yes to him. Yes, Holy Spirit, I want this. Yes, Holy Spirit, do this work inside of me. Take the love from the Father to Jesus and give it to me. I need it. Say no to the slave and say not now to the servant. Say no to the slave and say not now to the servant. Holy Spirit, come. Do what you like to do best. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to us about our identity? Father, what do you want to say to us about our identity? 
Father, how do you feel about me? Tell me how you feel about me. How do you feel about me? Father, is Jesus really my brother? Am I really part of the family?
and write songs about it. <laughs> Amen. Okay, children, you're dismissed. Amen. Huh? Anyone who wants prayer to reinforce this truth, you can come forward now and the prayer team will pray for you.